When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. said sometimes with the British film industry it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning let's find out welcome to another Britflix.com podcast my name's Stuart Wright and today's guest is director Stuart Urban welcome to the show thank you for having me on it's it's uh, very nice indeed to be here we're going to do something new that I've not done before. Listeners familiar with the podcast will have heard me do Five Great British Horrors, which is a, a, an ongoing sort of evolving series I've done, and, and I've dipped into five great musicals um, and five true crimes more recently with Craig Fairbrass. But with you, Stuart, we're going to do five great black comedies. Now, we'll get into those, and we'll do them in um, reverse date order from oldest to newest. But before we do, do you want to... Do you wanna, I think it's worth just touching on on some of, some of your work that 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 you've done in the past that people might know. And if we just start with some with your genre stuff, we were just talking about your film "May I Kill You," which played at Fright Fest, if I remember rightly. That's right, "May I Kill You," which is uh, only described can only be described as a black comedy, very black uh, about a, a rogue cop, um, you know, and uh, a psychopath on the cycle path was one of its log lines. And that, you know, played to a lot of festivals. It uh, it got the uh, it won it won a few awards, like the European competition in in uh, Brussels, in the Brussels Fantasy, the uh, Lumiere d'Argent. Did you um, did you get to um, did you sing a song before your film? I show? did. I, I sang uh, "I Love Little Pussy." <laughs> it is a real Victorian nursery rhyme, but one of the most shocking double entendres that you've ever heard. And uh, I was forced to sing in front of 600 people, but it went down quite well. It's actually the end title music from another genre film I did, Preaching to the Perverted, which is uh, arguably, well, I mean, it's, it's it became a cult film after being called Excremental by The Guardian, who then later listed it among the top films made about kinky sex uh, a few years later. You know, they ate their words. What, what, what do you think changed there in terms of, that kind of initial shock horror and then and then an acceptance. Yeah, changing attitudes to sexuality. It's a high camp film, which I made deliberately high camp. And people didn't seem to understand that, you know, uh, that um, uh, and then they kind of lapped it up more. And of course, you know, the gay audience or, you know, style fashion magazines, they loved it from the beginning. And gradually some people came. It's only a small, you know, small but dedicated cult, but <laughs> it is it is there and they continue to buy the film. And 
screen it when you know when possible obviously not at the moment but um yeah they're still showings you know and uh, uh all kinds of tributes and little clubs were made in the name of the film in various cities so uh so that was nice but you know so i've, I've, I've had a that also had kind of dark humor as well as camp so i've, I've always had a uh an interest in in dark humor and kind of pushing the envelope and that's why i love the films i'm going to talk about because i think they're all pretty you know full-on you know, uncompromising in their humour and approach. Indeed, indeed. Now, just for listeners that haven't that, that come new to this, that don't know the the five great format, it's fairly straightforward. And to make sure that we enjoy as much time on each film, I will be playing to an alarm, which will tell me when to stop uh, and for us to move on to the next film. So we don't do twenty minutes on one film and five minutes on four. So listeners, when they hear. That's when we will. Um, that's when we will uh, move on to the next film. Right, five great black comedies, Stuart. The first one we're going to cover is 1949's Kind Hearts and Coronets. Um, now, what what I like to do with this format is is sort of how did you first come across this film? What was your context for watching it the first time round? You don't sound old enough to have seen it at the cinema, so... <laughs> no, I don't think I've ever seen it in the cinema. I think I saw it first on television, I can't remember when, and then um, would have, um, you know, looked at it on DVD, I still have the DVD somewhere, and um, recently called up on Prime Video. So it's a case of a film that I always found completely remarkable and daring, and in a way, kind of out of its time, because it's just so bold and and uh, brilliantly executed and dark you know very very dark but also extremely funny in the way that Alec Guinness plays the roles of so many of this family who've robbed the Dennis Price character of his of his rightful inheritance mm. and cru- cruelly seen his mother off to the yeah, a, dis- what is it? A, dis- a distant poor relative of the Duke of Dascoyne Dascoyne yeah, to inherit the title by murdering the eight other heirs who stand ahead of him in the line of succession and it's interesting because it's one of two films where you where you've picked black comedies where one actor plays more than one role yes that's right and um, and i don't know if you did you did you know that alec guinness was only offered four roles originally and i did not know that actually you know i i I didn't know that at all and it was him that insisted he played all eight well fantastic and he's so good you know he was so young but each character is really completely different, and and yet not that much makeup. Yes, some are very different in the makeup. Obviously, one that's in, you know, he's, he's cross dressing, but you know, and so on. But I mean, most of them, he's, he looks pretty well identifiable as himself, but without too much, you know, in the way of makeup, as they didn't have it then anyway. You know, prosthetics of any description. What, what would be what what for you is is sort of at the heart of its of of what makes it a, a dark comedy for you? What where where is it? What's its target, do you think? What's it trying to say? Well, the amazing thing about this film is it's an incredible assault on the British, specifically the English class system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every single scene is can be described, this is great writing, is that, it's, is that every scene is attributable to the class snobbery and conflict and, and, and making the lead character 
feel downtrodden, yet we, we somehow want him to succeed because we want him to get one over on the aristocrats. And uh, in this sense, you know, there's, it's, it's kind of very modern, too, in the way it's written, because, I mean, you, you could compare it, not in any way in the subject matter, but you look at a series like Sex Education on, on uh, uh, Netflix, and every single scene is about sex, uh, which I actually find a bit over, over, overbearing. But mm-hmm. in this one, I think class is much, a much richer subject, and, and that's it. That's what makes it so special and, and brave. And it's, uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't, being so specific about obviously our, our class system, which is, I, I mean, looking at it today, thinking about and thinking about then and now, I don't feel like we, we, we don't have a class system. I think the class system still plays an important role. It's still a subject you could, you could certainly lampoon in drama. It doesn't yeah. seem to be out, of, it doesn't seem to be out of time or out of step with any thinking today, does it? No, it isn't. It's, uh, uh, brilliantly directed Robert Hamer, who sadly became an alcoholic and died young, uh, not long after, but um, he was incredibly talented as writer director. Mm. What would be what would be your favourite scene from the film? Uh, oh gosh, that's a tough one. I think um, the final scene is just so amazing. When I don't, well, are we allowed to give spoilers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think nineteen I think nineteen forty nine films. I think we're allowed. He's brilliant, brilliantly pulled off this incredible series of murders. And because he gets released in a, in a surprise move by one of his the lover, uh, he accidentally leaves behind the diary, which says exactly what he's done. He was about to be hanged, and of course, they then got the evidence he did commit the other murder. So it's just one of the best endings ever. You just can't see it coming. And, and the, thing, the thing about black comedies is that, is that they're, not, they're not about laugh out loud, but there are moments in this that really sort of get you, aren't they? Yes, yes, some great, great deaths, uh, great deaths, very and, funny. And it's that, and I think, it, and, and maybe there's, there is something that we've lost in, 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 is the sense of melodrama. It's not something we can get away with as easy in a 21st century English drama, I feel. Yeah, that's true, true comment. Yeah, because you think about, you know, the success of, you know, the, the, of the, uh, well, I think my alarm was not yeah. so successful then, but that's our first five minutes. So moving, moving swiftly along, we're going to jump to 1964 and we're going to talk about Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, which yes. for the first time, it was, it was only sort of looking into this before we spoke that I, I, I'd even, I even knew that it was based on a novel, Red Alert by Peter George. Yes. So it's, yes. An, so it's an adaptation of a book in 64 and, and fantastically, um, my favourite piece of trivia from this that I could find is that Kubrick is said to have read 50 books about nuclear war in preparation for this. Does that sound like the kind of work you do before you prepare for a directing a film? <laughs> 50 books. I do a lot of research normally. Um, <laughs> well, I don't think I can beat that one, 50 books. No, no, no. So for you, I mean, this is, again, this is the, the, the film that, in the sense of Kind Hearts, has got Peter Sellers playing more than one role. Um, yeah. And it's it's this is this is I guess this is given the subject as well. This one is um, is more maniacal in its kind of what it what it's because the idea of war is it, the idea of nuclear war that that hangs over this film is horrendously terrifying but also hilarious. Yes, yes, and you keep thinking in this film that because a a, a mad a general has got uh, you know lo- a loose cannon is intending 
to bring the nuclear holocaust about, uh, Air Force General. And he, you keep thinking, it just seems logical because everyone else is trying to stop him, that, or most people, that, that he, he cannot succeed. Um, and, um, you know, in spite of everything, he does. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like the ultimate black comedy, really, you know, for the end of the world. Can you can you I mean thinking of this as from a director and, and, and sort of overlapping into um into kind hearts, can you can you imagine what it's like to sort of direct the same person but to do a completely different role? I don't think I'm just trying to think when all that I've directed has anyone played two roles. Well, only uh, my brother actually, when he made our little film as a teenager that got to Cannes, hmm. when he played he he played several roles in a comedy. Um so that's going back to when we were teenagers. Um He's now the diplomatic editor of Newsnight, so some people may recognise him presenting that <laughs> often. But uh, Mark, so uh, his t- talent in front of the camera—that's for sure. So I think that it is a really interesting point. I mean, clearly both uh, Kubrick and Hamer did take care that the characters did seem extremely different in all their mannerisms and, you know, uh, the way they. They brought what they brought to each of the characters they played. So I imagine a lot of care went into that. Because, mm. because given the subject matter, it's um, it's 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 been written about in lots of places that I could find that the film actually led to genuine policy changes. Oh really? In the no, world. So, so I, had, I mean, I, I can't imagine when Kubrick set about making it, he thought I'm going to change the geopolitical landscape with this film. But I guess the hysterical nature of how he portrayed what is essentially a hair trigger away from the end of the world. It's, yes. It's hard not to take note from this film and go, we don't want this. We don't want a binary number of people to be having the world in their hands. Yes, and it showed that danger, especially some of the people around today, you know, having that kind of power, uh, as in America, you know, um, you, you, you are scared. Um, and, and, and in other states and places, too much what too much power can do for, for a military leader. Of course, in this story, the president is not the loose cannon and he's well-meaning, you know. Um, but it shows what can happen even when well-meaning people don't do enough to stop the, the nutters out there, you know. Indeed, indeed. It's a sort of... The, 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 the politician caught, caught, in the, uh, caught in the warmongers sort of hair trigger, this idea of we must win at all costs, where, where, yes. where the costs are we all lose. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it treads a very, you know, it's a very clever sort of structure that you see the people in the, in the, uh, the B-52 bomber that are, you know, are going to try and get to bomb the Russians uh, and everyone trying to stop them, anyone else apart from the, the rogue uh, Gen- Air Force General Sterling Hayden plays, uh, Jack D. Ripper. Um, so, you know, and then, and so it's it's constructed around that in that clever way that you you, you just keep thinking they're going to succeed and they don't, and that's again the big surprise. You know, I, I think it's again very bold. Uh, you know, Kubrick obviously a lot of his films. There we go. There's our uh, our five minutes up on on Doctor Strange Love. Moving swiftly into the eighties now. Yeah. With uh, Martin Scorsese's um, The King of Comedy. Uh, written yeah. by Paul D. Zimmerman, um, yeah, and uh, and I guess 
I guess a, a sort of what while while dark in tone. I guess I guess for 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 Scorsese fans, this was a bit of a a bit of a sort of sea change for the for the usual stuff that people would have expected from him. Yes, I mean remarkably bold. You know, he did do I think around this time after hours, wasn't it? That no, it was eighty five, sort of... wasn't it? So that was yeah, equal, equal, so met with equal sort of bemusement, I think. Yeah, and I think this gradually built its reputation, King of Comedy, which I'm going to look at in the point of view of its incredible rebirth or the homage that was Joker, mm. uh, that in fact channels this film in almost every frame. Uh, yet being in no way a copy, you know, or derivative, it's the ideal double bill. Yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange film um, for 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 it to sort of ape because it's it, like you say, it's one of them, it's one of the films that sort of grown in reputation over its over its life. It was it was sort yes. of looked at with a kind of what's this all about? Was this was this a film you saw in the cinema first? Yes, this was a I do remember a BAFTA screening. Yeah, uh, when I was just joined, I think you know. Uh, was probably the youngest member at that time. Um, and um, uh, it was so exciting to see. And I loved it from the off. You know, I've always loved it. I've seen it four or five times. And, uh, you know, what's what's uh, wonderful about it is it's about the most dreadful failure of a character uh, who you know is mentally unbalanced and wants to be famous and wants to get on this show, you know, shades all of those of Joker. And, of course, the, the beauty here is that Robert De Niro plays that part uh, whereas uh, he is the man who runs the show uh, in Joker, which which the uh, you know which the uh, the character Joaquin's character wants to get onto. So um, you know they both aim and do commit a crime on the show, but you know it's it's that's the the brilliance of it. It's a fantastic evocation also of New York at that time, uh, which again is is the same period as in Joker. Yes, it was. It's, it's sort of unapologetic, isn't it? And it's certainly in its homage to King of Comedy with with the way that uh, it, they they pulled Joker together. Yeah, and uh, and uh, it, it, and yet in no way it's not a copy or, or a rip off in any way at all. Yeah. It's just incredibly interconnected. I think in a way I can't remember of any other film. You know, Stuart, I cannot remember a case of this. Certainly, two films that I love that I could say, hey, you know, these two coexist in this incredible universe so for everyone who loved joker like i did i think they'll love this film and uh obviously de niro is fantastic um jerry lewis incredible he was you know for people who don't remember him because a lot of the listeners might be young when he was this insane american comedian that had never done anything and they sort of vanished into the to, to, after doing the original nutty professor he sort of fell by the wayside a bit and then this was a great career revival for him but what's interesting about because this obviously this is there's there's a there's a lot to be uh, sort of celebrity culture and fame and infamy and and popularity which are which are not as serious as nuclear war or murder no. or terrorism yeah. which is subjects we're going to cover later but I think it, yeah. in a way this one from a dramatic point of view and how it gets to its black comedy is probably the darkest in terms of it's got the least I guess it's got the least laugh out loud elements to it if that's the best way to describe well, it yeah i mean i was laughing a lot but i mean i i, I suppose you know maybe my warped sense of humor i mean it, it's not so many you know sight gags maybe as, as in some of say, yeah yeah sorry that's what i mean right. i'm saying it's not it's not often, yeah, it's, it's not got the humor vision. in it but it's not yeah it's yeah. not going for the all-out laughs like i think 
in yeah, the, in the way because really if you're doing about a com- if you're doing the, the subject matter itself is around comedy so that's also you know that's all there yeah. to be to be uh, to be farmed I suppose but what I mean is is that, that in a sense there's 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 a mania to uh, Peter Sellers performance which is very heightened and, yes. and hilarious in of itself yet we're talking about nuclear war whereas yes the idea of has been comebacks and stuff is not quite as serious but uh, and um and wanting to make it in this in this cruel world of celebrity and not as serious but it felt like the dark heart of what is a black comedy felt very dark in king of comedy yeah 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 it's, and, and and de niro yeah it was at the core of that it's incredible performance because it exists both as humor and pathos and madness mm. you know in equal measure indeed indeed and we're uh, we're about to hit. Oh yeah, I've got my own little timer. <laughs> Moving swiftly on, we're going to hit. We're going to hit the eight. We're going to go a bit further into the eighties now, with. Yeah. Um, and I think I think it's safe to say, in, in, in a similar way, um, with Nail and I, nineteen eighty-seven, had a similar kind of bemused response that over time. It's only grown in its appeal at the same, corresponding to the kind of down. I mean, apparently, like first preview screenings, it was like, "What the hell's this?" Really? Yeah. So, so for you, what do you? What I mean, I'm guessing if you were watching King of Communists, what was? uh, I did see this in the cinema. uh, I think with my writing partner at the time, uh, and uh, you know, there were some formative films of the of the eighties which I loved, and others were totally different. But this, um, I thought, was uh, a great, a great piece of filmmaking by Bruce Robinson, who had written some outstanding films. I think he'd been Oscar nominated or won for mm. Killing, and and uh, and yet this was like in some way, you know, autobiographical, and um, the ultimate sort of British young thespians film about the poverty, the madness, the sort of the drugs of the, uh, the, the really decadent lives. And the way I see it as a black comedy, it's just about totally decadent. Um, lead character with Neil and and you know Paul McGann, kind of the straight man, very good as well, often overlooked. Um, but you know needs that pair of eyes, and he is the kind of uh, Bruce Robinson character. Um, and their adventures are amazing, and, and uh, uh, it's a very good capturing of of the period. You know the uh, early seventies or sixty nine, whenever it was set. Mm. And and it's got the the uh, the iconic comedy term from Richard Griffiths as Uncle Monty. Yes, Richard Griffiths, who I was privileged enough to direct later in a TV series um, about four or five years after this. It was the early nineties. I did something called The Good Guys. Okay. And he was he was a guest character. He was a lovely man, uh, and you know, just just a joy to work with, and so talented. And his. You know, nowadays people might find that the whole portrait of him as a as a very predatory, uh, gay, you know, gay. What's the word? You know, to trying to trying to trying to seduce Paul McGann in an almost predatory way. Mm. Uh, people might object to it. I don't know. At the time, everyone just thought it was incredibly funny, and and um, it was, in fact, I think Robinson said. Uh, in no small way inspired by his experience as a young, very handsome actor in um, Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet, you know, as the lead. Oh, really? Uh, 
that yes, that uh, Zeffirelli wouldn't keep his hands off him, and he felt absolutely abused. So, so in some way, the film does is an evocation. Those particular scenes are an evocation of those uh, moments, you know, um, uh, in in Robinson's life. He did he did come out with that. I think after Rip Zeffirelli died, I, I can't remember when he said it, but he's he's on record. And what what for you, what for you, I mean, there's there's this it's it's like a quotathon. Quotathon type movie, isn't it? But for you, what's yes, what's the what's the work. what's the moment? Because and it's like it, it, it's literally. I mean, the film the film has entered the lexicon, hasn't it, of, of Britain and and and. I know so appeal. many so so many famous lines. Um, uh, well, I think the one in the tea shop, you know, bring me the finest wines available to humanity, or whatever. I probably misquote there, but. Where is he? Utterly asshole. We're early. We want to get in there, don't we? Eat some cake. Just soak up the booze. <laughs> All right, here. What did you want? Cake. All right, here. No, we're closing. We're leaving in a minute. Cake and tea. Didn't you hear? She said she'd closed. What do you want in here? Cake. What's it got to do with you? I happen to be the proprietor. Now, would you leave? Ah, I'm glad you're the proprietor. I was going to have to have a word with you anyway. We're working on a film up here. Location, see. We might want to do a film in here. You're drunk. Just bring out the cake, cake and fine wine. That you know takes some beating when when uh, he's so drunk and they throw him out. There's a fantastic scene and great quotes. You know, uh, I mean that's just one example, but it epitomizes the whole the whole life of of the Withnell character and the young actor in whatever period. You know, when they they're playing a role all the time, um, and yet they are themselves. Uh, you know, in in certain moments like that. Um, which 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 was an uh, incredibly funny scene in the English tea shop, the village high street tea shop where yes. they scandal everyone. And and for someone for for actors playing such a kind of ugly role that Richard E. Grant has to play, do you, do you find that there's like they they, they they sort of there's an embracing of that because there's a lot of trust between the actor and the director. There must be to say, look, yes, just... I, 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 yeah, good point because. They two had to work closer together. Obviously, Bruce Robinson had been an actor, but you know, there's always the danger with such an incredibly bold performance, virtually his debut, I think, Richard E. Grant, was that he could have fallen flat on his face. And, and obviously, the faith he must have had in Bruce and vice versa mm. must have been so deep, you know, because the actor is so exposed. And this was such a risky role to and brilliantly pulled off, you know, um, that, um, you know, it's just. Should go down in history as one of the great, great British performances. In indeed, well, there we go. There's the five minutes on that one, and f and let's move in on swiftly to your final selection. We've got Chris Morris's black comedy about terrorism, Four Lions. Yes, <laughs> from 2010. Yes. So the idea of yes. creating terrorism out of incompetent terrorists is yes. Was, yes. was a hell of a risky move and, and while while obviously going for the laughs it was done during a time 
well, we weren't laughing about terrorism either. No, and in fact, this film, you know, which was obviously inspired, if that's the right word, or by uh, Seven Seven, mm. uh, was of course also prescient, in particular of the later incompetent and but often deadly, um, you know, mixture of incompetent and deadly uh, rise of the ISIS as opposed to Al Qaeda type terrorists uh, from a short while after this film was made, three or four years after, you had the rise of Daesh, ISIS, or Islamic State, whatever you call them. Yeah. But, I mean, who have then inspired things exactly like in the film, and which sometimes, you know, one, glad, one is glad when they fail. But, you know, the, the misfits and the outcasts and rejects of society carried on being like in this film almost, you know. Um, uh, and how he was bold enough to show them doing pretty, you know, typical British leisure things like the the theme parks, you know, and how they're inspired by all the sort of video games, the theme parks, Rubadingi Rapids, and all, and all, <laughs> all that stuff. Uh, is, is it actually thinking that they're in these video games or films or theme parks? You know, was the seven seven terrorists went off to play cricket? You know, a colonialist game imposed on them in in what was you know later to be pakistan i mean it's it's on their society it's just mind-boggling what, what he manages to do well is 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 the is and i think a lot of a lot of movies that that, that tackle uh, any kind of sort of um violent terrorism whether it be white supremacy or, or or sort of isis sort of cells like this is is that the people in it the characters generally are just wanting to belong and this and even though this is a comedy the, the serious drama of it is, is like wayward people are just easy pickings for people. To yes, and the characters are all fantastic cast. They're all searching for who they are and some are trying to validate themselves in these pathetic or outrageous and, and comical ways uh, and all very well differently characterised where they're coming from. You know, they've got the convert, the Nigel Lindsay character, brilliant, brilliant portrait. Um, the Riz Ahmed, who you think character omar is going to see the light somehow he seems just like a normal guy and then oh my god you know how it unfolds bomb the mosque radicalize the moderates bring it all on okay that no i like that i do like that that's brilliant because yeah. let, let's take out a bunch of muslims because they're the real enemy aren't they better once we've done that why don't we truck bomb a kebab shop and, and fly a jumbo jet into wadja's mom's head and what for what for you is um where, where does he get where does he get it right on the button for you in terms of the subject matter in, in this movie? I think that, you know, it goes for it all the time, very bravely, but I think the one, the film, you know, epitomises the two scenes of the bl the blowings up in the field where uh, the crow, you know, the crow is accidentally uh, blown up mm. uh, or rather the wrong timing and then and then one of the characters, uh, the ideal actor character who's <laughs> blown up with a sheep um and um they are just so crazy the scenes that they they show you the madness of what these people are doing to themselves to animals and to the world you know and they they i think they call the, the death of the sheep uh, a blow against the agricultural agricultural industrial complex or something uh, as well as having lost a martyr in their view the question is is he a martyr or not because he died with a sheep and he wasn't actually in combat so i mean that to me epitomizes the madness of the the terrorism and the, the humour of the, of the film. Brilliant. Well, look, that was a nice... That was a good timing. It was indeed. 
through. So your five great black comedies that we've covered are 1949's Kind Hearts and Coronets, 1964's Doctor Strange Love and How I Learned to Stop Worrying and, and Love the Bomb, 1982's King of Comedy, uh, uh, 1987's With Nell and I, and 2010's Four Lions. Do you think there's any underlying similarities or themes amongst those as black, those particular black comedies that you've picked that, that sort of speak to your own taste in movies? Well, uh, I mean, obviously, they, they, you know, they're dealing a lot, but not always with murder. Um, I mean, in some way that the, that the uh, Withnell is, is the exception there. Mm. Um, but I think that what drives them all are these extraordinary characters. And to me, you know, it's the heart of, well, whatever kind of drama or, or comedy, uh, they are all brilliantly made too. I mean, they're all very good filmmaking. But I, what leaves me, you know, what speaks to me all is about them as being singular and different. Is because the characters are so different to your normal kind of drama or comedy. And that's the opportunity of black comedy to say, here are these people. They're completely on the edge. They're completely nuts. But we're going to go with them in their story because somehow the filmmakers make you believe in them. Uh, as real, even if the tone is very heightened, you totally buy into all the characters, however evil they are. Yeah, because because in a sense, a lot a lot of things you get permission for with a black comedy is to go down the road of the the non traditional hero. People don't exactly. have to be likable; they have to be interesting. They have to have exactly a, they have to have exactly. a strong point of view and 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 almost always have a contradictory point of view to make sure that that, yes. that, that one point stands out like a yes. like a sore thumb. And nowadays we accept more the antihero, but a lot of those earlier films, you know, I mean, you know, some of them they're not heroes, but 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 where they are, uh, or antiheroes, I mean, then then um, then you accept them now as whereas. At the time, must have been even bolder. You know what I mean. Mm. Well, I think I mean all, all the way through. They're all they're all very they're all controversial. They all have a, a, I guess a controversy to them that, that is challenging. Obviously, the extreme being the fact that, that that Kubrick's film ended up having a direct having some sort of indirect impact on geopolitics. But I imagine during the height of the Cold War, no American general wanted to see a satire on it. I'm sure that no. straight after World War Two. <clears throat> the British establishment didn't want to see a film that was lampooning a society which was still didn't have a welfare state in '49. We were yes. we were still very much post-war Britain, so we still yes. had that class system that was just like yes, and if you're not born yes. into it, you've got nothing. Um, yeah, and yeah, then, good point. Um, I guess I guess King of Comedy as is 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 sort of that the idea of the the the, the of, of like I say, of fame and celebrity. Whereas, like you say, I think of your choices, sort of with now and I is maybe the exception to prove the rule. Because in a sense, that is about a tragic character going through a life like a like a bull in a china shop. Yes, and it's probably the most realistic in the sense of its tone. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, it could conceivably happen. Whereas, well, I mean, I suppose the, some of the others could, but but I think what that is, it's about a descent into decadence. You know, finding your way in life, which which uh, is, is a field of black comedy, I feel, because it's just it just embraces it so strongly. Uh, and whereas, you know, the conventional approach would be, oh, we've got a drug problem, we have to bring him around, they succeed in bringing him out, it's, it's, you know, the, the person turns himself around. Uh, whereas here, it's an un, a very unusual friendship, which, uh, you know, they go through these adventures, which are completely 
But it never. Yeah. But the film never says drinking's bad. But clearly it show. But clearly it shows you. It shows you that drinking is bad. <laughs> it doesn't judge them in a in a condemnatory way. It just says, look, you know, if you're gonna live your life like this, with this kind of level of substance abuse, you know, uh, and intake of alcohol, you you are gonna, you know, you might have a whale of a time. But you know, look at how these two characters end up different. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can I, not 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 to uh, not that there's any similarities between my life and uh, and Richard E. Grant's character's life, or even Bruce Robinson's life he was drawing on. But I remember one time being at a party and still being a, still being one of the last person standing at six a.m. <laughs> yeah, and, that's and really this, sick. And this Scottish yeah. guy comes up to me and he says, "Come on, Stuart, let's go on a three day bender." <laughs> and obviously, in my film, the film ended there because I went. No, I'm going out. But look, I figure it this way. Better to be king for a night than schmuck for a lifetime. Before we close, is there anything you could, anything you've got in the pipeline? Anything you're you're working on? Well, I I've got the you know two or three TV dramas which I've done pilots on. You know, mm. one one is uh, is uh, from a French graphic novel about the trials of guinea pigs in a uh, certain kind of experiment, modern trial, which has quite a lot of black humour in actually. Right. It's got a very unusual tone. It's Partly kind of fancy, but quite, quite a lot of black humour, and as well as real social issues. And um, I'm doing a script a series on money laundering in Britain, mm-hmm. um, which I'm, I'm developing. Uh, and uh, and I've got another very big sort of major true crime that nobody seems to have written even a book about, which I've discovered and I'm working with some uh, very good top producers whose work everyone will be familiar with, but I can't announce it yet. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm very active and continue to write at least. So when we can get something made, it'd be great. Fantastic. Well, look, just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time and your patience thank you. for, uh, you. for, for, <laughs> for my technical hurdles yeah. I managed to put in our way. Um, but we got there in <laughs> the end, and it's, yeah. and it's uh, you're my first great black comedies podcast, and I hope not the last. Yeah, it's a real honour. Hey, you, get on with that parcel and never mind what we are talking about. Don't you dare touch me like that. I'm not interested in your idiotic conversation. If you want to add impertinence to your eavesdropping, we'll soon see about that. Alan Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.